Hello everybody and welcome to Around the World in 80 Drinks with me Tom Sandham and fellow thinking drinker Ben McFarland. Hello Ben. Hello Tom, how are you doing mate? I'm alright. Um, so if you're new to this podcast, it's a podcast that explores the wonderful world of drink and thanks to, to, to you for choosing to listen to us. Um, this week it's especially worth listening because we have a great guest in the form of Mark Watson, the comedian, author and sometimes sports pundit as well, don't we Ben? We do, very exciting to have him on board, it's very depressing reading his CV ahead of talking to him, because he's yes. only 40 isn't he Tom? Tell us what, <laughs> what's, he, what's he done with his life? And, uh, yeah, I mean while it is extraordinarily brilliant to have him as a guest, it does uh, shed some light on our own achievements, um, because what he has achieved before turning 40 is fucking incredible. Um, <laughs> he did his, uh, his first gig in 2002, stand-up, and the same year won the Daily Telegraph open mic competition, but since then he's been a permanent fixture, they would say, in the world of stand-up and on telly. He's been a guest on all sorts of TV shows, he's hosted some as well. He's, he was even on Time Trumpets, which is uh, one of our own favourite comedy shows of the past. Uh, he's been on the radio, he's got a brilliant Radio 4 show, which you can you can catch up with on uh, BBC Sounds. Mark Watson talks a bit about life, which is very funny. And we're also funny. enjoying his um, his, his um, YouTube turnouts, aren't we, Ben? The uh, Yes. No More Jockeys. Yeah, it's a, really, it's a kind of parlour game with Tim Key and... Um, the guy from Hall, the, the, the Horn, Horn fellow, Alex yes. Horn, yeah, who's very funny. It's very, very good, very relaxed, um, but they are three naturally amusing chaps. They are. Very nice people to spend time with. Mm. Um, so check that out on YouTube. Uh, in stand-up, he's created the comedy marathons, including a, an award-winning 36-hour show at the Edinburgh Fringe. Uh, he's, he's done a, a lot in the world of stand-up. He's author, an author... Of many, we're uh, authors as well, Tom. So I mean, <laughs> yeah. we wrote a book about kebabs. We did that. For WKD. Yeah, that's uh, bad. Uh, we've also <laughs> we've written how many books have we written? We've we've got what six books, all yeah. all all about similar things. How many? He, how many? How many has he got? I think he's got at least six. Uh, they're oh. novels, and he's oh. got a new one coming out in this October, and one of his. Uh, Steven Spielberg acquired the rights to, and uh, Stevie Stevie Spielberg Stevie Boy is not acquiring the rights to the WKD kebab guy. I think he he did kick the tires of world's best beers, but then decided it's too big a project for him. I think <laughs> not for me. Um, <laughs> but in short, then Mark Watson, he is uh, hugely successful. Uh, but not only that, um, he, you'd think, oh, he's a Hugely successful man who's a bit of a bit of a tosser. He's not. It turns out he's a <laughs> he's a really nice chap as well, um, yeah. and he loves a decent drink. And yes. he knows a bit about wine. So he's actually on the podcast this week as our guest wine expert. Uh, so he's going to be telling us a little bit about wine because that's not our particular area of expertise. So um, that's why we've got on, him on there. And in yeah, the show. And I'm- I mean, he, he, we, we, we've gone and seen him several times at the Fringe and he does stand on stage with a glass of red wine and he just sips it calmly throughout throughout the hour. And I remember thinking, that is a, 
don't see many people drinking wine on stage. But he genuinely, as we find out in this interview, he, he knows his stuff and he loves it, doesn't he? He does. Um, he's a good wine drinker. So yeah. you will actually listen to pod, pod bods. You will actually... Pod bods. You will actually learn something a little bit about wine. Not only that, we've got a beer, three different wines, and uh, a spirit to finish off with, a spirit that Mark claims he doesn't like, and we're going to try, as you'll hear, and convince him that he should reappraise it. Uh, so that's probably the, as much as we've ever had on any tasting. Yeah, no, it's a big podcast. tasting. It's a long podcast, but like all good things, it takes it takes a while to get into, and then opens up and hmm. expands. And it's a wonderful odyssey, alcohol-fueled odyssey, isn't it, Tom? <laughs> it is. Also, uh, did you notice I didn't, because he's a big Bristol City fan as well, and we talked a bit about Bristol City, but yeah. I didn't ask him about it because they've been, they've been pretty rubbish since since the, just before lockdown and after lockdown as well. I think yeah. their defenders are actually still socially distancing from the opposition. <laughs> They keep losing, so we we steered off that. But apart from that, we delved deep. Well, I, I think we it was quite Louis Theroux like our uh, probing of Mark Watson. I think he we if, really got to know the man. If anyone ever doubted our uh, our journalistic uh, integrity, they won't after listening to this. Um, no. Anyway, it's like, it's like the Frost Nixon tapes. <laughs> and with that in mind, we should probably go on with it. So let yeah. Mark do some talking. Uh, so enjoy the podcast folks um, and we'll round it up at the end with some wiffle waffle so hello Mark how are you doing how yeah. how's your lock li- lockdown life going at the moment it's not too bad, actually. I mean, it's a strange old period, this, where I'm still mostly not doing the stuff that I'm used to, like traveling around, going to the pub, doing anything. But in other ways, things are sort of normal. So a, bit, a little bit odd at the moment, yeah. I, can, I have been drinking a reasonable amount, though. They can't take that away from us. Oh, that was going to be one of the main questions for us, really, here is how much have you been drinking? Do you find you're drinking more in this situation or less or about uh, the same? I'd, I'd have to say slightly more, yeah. I mean, I suppose the thing is I've always sort of liked having a drink or two before uh, and after a show, but then it is quite nicely broken up by the fact you're actually doing the show. These days I've got the same potential to drink, but without any of the working hours that are I used to rely. I've been reasonably disciplined. I got into a, a thing early in the when they started the five o'clock briefings. I took that as my daily cue to open the bottle, basically, because yeah. the, especially when it started, the, the stats were so frightening and the whole situation felt so apocalyptic that I thought, I'm not watching this without some sort of drink. And even though I, it's been ages since I bothered to watch the briefings, I've continued to hold 5 p.m. in my head as the sort of acceptable drinking curfew. Well, so, it, on the on the continent, they call that it's like the sundowner, isn't it? But then, yeah, cocktail hour. hour. It's just a downer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I quite um, I feel like it's quite. Of course, it's it's bollocks, isn't it? Because if you then drink way too much, the fact that you started at five is immaterial. But I feel like. Uh, there's some sort of honour in 
at least yeah. having a rule like that. I'll try and have a run. I basically try and have, I have quite good daily habits until five and then all bets are sort of off after that. That's been my lockdown strategy in, in brief. <laughs> Do you have any days off? Have you done a sort of no day drinking or? Are you, are you... Uh, yeah, I did that last Monday. I think it was, we've had a couple of, Oh, every now and again, a completely alcohol-free day. And uh, both my partner and I didn't enjoy those days, really. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't want... It's easy to give the impression that you're massively dependent on booze. And um, I don't think it's that. I didn't feel sort of um, desperate craving. I was just... There's just a bit of a, a gap where some fun should be, basically. The, the day sort of... drags Because I'm quite a night owl anyway. You get to 9, 10 o'clock, you're having dinner and stuff. Uh, and you're still drinking non-alcoholic beer and things. It just all feels a bit flat, doesn't it? And, it, uh, it does. And I find myself, I just go to bed. Okay, I'm, right, exactly. I'm not drinking. I need, to get to, I need to get to the next day quicker when I am allowed to drink. Someone was they, saying to me, I, I had exactly that conversation with a, I can't remember who it was, but a friend of mine was saying, um, basically, I'm in bed at like half past eight if I'm not drinking, because otherwise <laughs> what am I meant to? Because <laughs> I know, I'll, know I'll break at about 9.30. <laughs> Which is there is a, an issue. A terrible truth in it, yeah. And um, but I also find, and this probably does make you sound like a too much of a boozer as well. But I, I often find it not so easy to sleep without um, mm. just a, at least just a wine. I last year I did a sober month in October uh, for some reason. <laughs> it wasn't, <even> good, <laughs> wasn't for charity or anything. I just I just did one of those like slightly on the cusp of your forties things where I thought I should prove to myself that I can. Do this and I did do it. Well, it was 28 days. I did four lots of seven with no drinks, and um, a lot of it was all right. But at night, I was so restless, my sleeping was rubbish. I, I you know, I, I don't know if I don't like to think it's because I have to be slightly pissed to sleep, but I think if you if you disrupt your patterns like that, whatever it was, the nights were bloody awful, basically. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, but it does yeah. make you, it does relax you, it does. It just makes you, it gives you a sort of uh, an ability to just ride over those slight anxieties that you might rather than let, let them in and really bed in and get a grip. Yeah, I'm a person with quite a lot of the tendency to have a lot going on in my brain and can't really switch off. And that phrase, mm. take the edge off, which uh, again can make you sound uh, <laughs> like a problem drinker, but that is, that does exemplify it no, for me what it's about. That, you know, it's a, if you're always in your exact right mind, it's a, it's a bit much, isn't it? Sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> I, do, I, I take it as a reward as well. I think it's yeah, um, yeah, and it it gives you that gratification of something like you've earned it. In it, in yeah. a way, people like their chocolate or they'll sit down, watch a film. It's it's just something that actually takes you yeah. out of out I, of the daily grind. That's right, and I suppose that's mine. I don't sort of binge on TV much. Don't really eat chocolate much. I, I don't smoke. I tell myself that because I don't have these other vices. I've got yeah. like uh, unlimited units basically because I'm not using them for yeah, other stuff. I don't, do Again, I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> Anything like that. Sometimes I will have quite a, you know, I'm quite a big runner. Sometimes I'll knock off after a run and think, well, I've definitely earned some drinks now. But again, I don't think technically that they don't actually equate <laughs> in real life. <laughs> well, we found a German beer that's isotonic. It's, it's ah, yeah. alcoholic. Erdinger um, or Erdinger? Yes, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I um, well, I ran the. I've only ever run the marathon once. It was in Berlin, and Erdinger sponsor it. Oh, yes. Uh, so after you finish, they they're giving out beer, and not knowing it was a non-alcoholic beer, I thought they were absolutely insane. <laughs> I thought like, who the hell is finishing a marathon? And then I could see people carrying around four pints of this stuff. But I, I, in time, I realised it was, um, and it's nice as well. I had it. Uh, it's very nice. Yeah. And there's another German one. 
Kronbacher, is that what it's called? Yes, Kronbacher. Uh, yeah, yeah, I really that's... enjoyed that. I feel like the Germans have got way more uh, non-alcoholic. Yes, stuff. it's much more yeah. part of their their culture. They're, they're, it's, it's not sort of seen as the, the sort of deviant version. But there's some very there's a very funny picture of these three Kenyan marathon runners. <laughs> yeah. On the, on the podium with the glasses at about six foot tall and they, and they have absolutely no intention of drinking them whatsoever. No, uh, I, I mean... <laughs> but, um, well, Mark... Uh, that's, yeah, well, I was going to say, we've got you on here for wine, into, but we've, uh, we've, yeah, we've got some beer, haven't we, we get Have you got the beer there? Yes, I have, yeah. That is, uh, a German, that is from Bristol. This is from Bristol. Now, so... Being a yes, Keller Pils. I am but, indeed. And uh, Bristol's got a very busy sort of yes. microbrewery type well, this is it. i wasn't sure what to get you um because there's so much going on there you've got wiper and true you've got arbor ales uh there's left-handed giant i don't know if you know that one that's a I good do one because i'm uh, left-handed uh, the, uh, name to me. yeah <laughs> and there's one called more beer m-o-o-r so it, yeah, right yeah drink yeah i don't beer, really so know my way around sort of craft beers or and stuff so i'm i'm in the dark with stuff like this well lost and grounded are, are very good uh, they were set up in 2016 um and they were set up, set up by a guy who used to be the brewer little creatures when you've done gigs in australia have you ever had little yeah, creatures? I, that rings a bell yeah yes. yeah so yeah. they're very good anyway they they are inspired by the german brewing techniques and the, the, the germans you can imagine quite efficient teutonically efficient in brewing beer and they've got lots of rules whereas the belgians who are also inspired lost and grounded they're crazy bastards they do all types of stuff <laughs> but in loads oh, of yeah. ingredients so they kind of combine the two and keller pills is a saying keller beer is german for cellar beer and it yes. is and so it's hazy um and and uh if you go to franconian bavaria down the south they drink this out of earthenware mugs. It's a bit like their German version of real ale. So I can imagine the Bavarians doing that. Yeah, yeah that's their yeah. that's their sort of vibe, isn't it? <laughs> exactly, and swaying and sausages and, and all this business. Yeah. So, um, but this is this is uh, real. They do some fantastic beers. But I thought on a on a hot summer's evening, uh, this was a this was a perfect beer to have because I did think about giving your love of Bristol City. That um, there's the Ashton Gate Brewery. I don't yeah. know if, uh, um, and they do a milk stout, but I thought milk stout uh, on a hot uh, summer. They're heavy. They're not, heavy. not quite right, is it? It's got it's a, no. a winter drink. No, this is perfect. I mean, um, yeah, what you're meant to drink at, at uh, Bristol City is cider, of course. Um, yes. But um, I'm not actually that fond of it, really. I have to just, like, my thing is to sort of pretend I'm having cider. But actually, I'm pretty much the only person, I think, in history to regularly order red wine at Ashton Gate. They um they they do sell it at the bar there, but I think they pretty much just have it for me. I've never seen anyone else drink a wine at a football match. I don't mind cider, but I always find you you have about three mouthfuls of it, and then you start thinking, um, I'm done here. I'm the same with Guinness. I always think I like Guinness, and then halfway through it, I feel like I've had a whole meal. And I'm a little bit like that with cider as well. I can't really. Part of the reason I'm a wine drinker is um relatively slight in stature. I just can't put beer and uh cider and stuff away in the same quantities as as other people do basically did you grow up though from that region did you grow up drinking a lot of cider as a kid or is that just a bit, a bit of a cider was um used? no it is it is it does sort of ring true cider was what i started to order in pubs when i was first well not allowed in but when i was like 16 and getting away with it um i you know that, that age where you're in the pub but you're still terrified you'll be found out at any point i used to regularly order cider because i felt like 
that was what people did. Just because of being Bristolian, I think I had this idea that it was a more convincing sort of cover story. Uh, yeah, half a cider, please, pint of cider. But, um, and I, I, I thought I liked it, the way that you do with the first things that you learn to drink. Uh, and then one day I had a proper nice glass of red wine. I thought, oh, hang on. This is, <laughs> this is great. Wait a sec. <laughs> I, I, I could be enjoying this a lot more than I have been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that brings us on to wine then. I suppose we should open some of these wines. Yeah, I mean, you are, you are on, Mark, as our resident wine expert, because I don't know whether Tom explained, but we, we drink a lot of wine, um, but we don't know a great deal about it. Oh, I don't think I would say I do either. I'm only a wine expert by the criterion of do you spend as much time drinking wine as possible. <laughs> I, um, my, um, my partner and I occasionally go on a wine tour or something like in Australia. We've done that a couple mm. of times where you just go around the wineries and they give you like nine to try at each one. And they've been some of the happiest days I've ever had, but I couldn't tell you that much about the, uh, about the process. <laughs> do you have, do you have like a go-to um, phrase to sort of, if you're, in a, if you're having a tasting in a winery? Yeah. To sort of know what you're talking about. Often if you talk about the body and stuff, that tends yeah, to work. Cause you, you can good. say that about a lot of wines. Yeah. Um, it's got a good body. Um, Stuff like mouth filling, it, it fills yeah. your mouth, it stays around in your, in your mouth, all that stuff. I, mean, I think the wines that I like most tend to be um, uh, Malbecs and like Cab Sav, the things that normally come in the category of uh, like mouth filling or big fat reds. So I tend to bluff my way by just talking in those terms, like as if the wine is a quite aggressive person that's in my house, yeah. basically. God, that's a... <laughs> That's a wine with a bit of character. That's yeah. another thing you can say. You can say that about almost any wine. It's yeah. got character. It's got personality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. For, I, um, acidity, I always think, is a good one to throw in. Just acidity for, uh, the is good, nice, yeah. uh, a, a bit balanced acidity. Also, with white wines, I almost always claim to be able to taste gooseberry because that seems to always please people. If you, yeah. Yeah. Even if it's not in there, they'll say, yeah, there is. A, I, I can see what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but also, because I'm a comic... Um, uh, you know, I'm used to absorbing information from an audience and chatting back to them. I'm quite good at doing that. So if someone says, like, and you should better get a little bit of licorice here, I will remember that. And then when you're tasting it, I'll say, oh, yeah, the licorice. And they perhaps forget they've told you. So they think that you've, you know, all those tricks. Yeah, but I'm quite good at, <laughs> I'm good at learning what I'm meant to taste in a wine and then repeating it back at the person to please them, basically. <laughs> That's the, a very that's good idea. idea. That's what I would call my wine expertise. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not far that far from the truth, as far as we can tell. So you probably get away with a fair amount. We've got big reds for you today, but um, we've gone to Waitrose for our wines, haven't we, Ben? Well, I'm pretty not our, normally, not normally normal. we go to the end of the road and just pick pick one from a sort of off license corner shop. I always think that there is a. I just scan the labels. Do you have any advice? And I, will, does a line drawing draw you in? A, a, a does a medal? You know those little medals that some yeah. put on there. They ever? I um I don't tend to notice those at all. But uh, I am a sucker for a nice a nicely drawn label. Yeah. yeah, I think I'm quite I quite like like bright colours and stuff like that. Basically, I'm I'm that basic. If a if a wine has got a, like a label with like some sort of impressionistic red and green type thing. I I'm nearly always. Also, I've got quite a bias towards um, Australian wine because okay. I've spent quite a bit of time down there and I love, uh, you know, and I've had all these good wine experiences there. So if a bottle has like 
some bit of Australiana, like a dried up creek or a koala on it or something. That'll nearly always get me as well. Again, not very scientific. No. <laughs> what I would say is this, um, so these wines came in a box from Waitrose, like by mail order, uh, thanks to you guys. And it was really nostalgic moment for me because I've obviously not set foot in a Waitrose for absolutely months now because of the current situation. We don't live near a Waitrose. No. So um, I felt fancy just taking delivery of it, to be honest. Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, likewise. <laughs> it's better than the co-op for sure, yeah. which is my yeah. local retailer. <laughs> Is it Journey's End, the one? That We're going, going to start Journey's with Journey's End. End, yeah, which is actually from South Africa. We haven't got an Australian for you, but... Hey, oh, I think maybe, I'll manage, don't worry. Yeah, you'll be all right, you're branching out of it. Um, yeah, this is Journey's End, Sir Lowry, but this is a Cabernet Sauvignon, and apparently the Cabernet Sauvignon grape is the, the most popular grape in South Africa. Um, it's from the Stellenbosch region and it will cost you 14 pounds 99 so it's uh, a bargain that's, that's yeah well i think it's full i think it's full bodied i'm gonna i'm getting in there early <laughs> um, see stellenbosch is a good example of uh something where if someone says that i'm like ah oh, yeah the stellenbosch region but all i mean is i've seen that on quite a lot of bottles of wine so, so yes. yeah in the same way that if someone mentions a band you go yeah i think i know yeah but all you mean is i've heard other people mention that yeah, yeah. Or when well, someone asks you whether you've seen a film, and for some reason you say, "Yeah, yeah, I have," when you haven't, and then, yeah, yeah. Like, and oh, then don't ask me anything about it, and they go, "Oh, I don't remember that bit." See, this is lovely. This is very much the sort of wine that I mm. consider my my go-to. Really, this. Well, they describe it as richly curvaceous wine. Oh. Uh, mm. um, so but that's yeah, something to add to your curvaceous. To your list of I suppose the glass itself is curved, so it's difficult to judge, yeah. isn't it? Um, <laughs> I, I suggest it's definitely the, flat when you look at it. Yeah, the wine could be perfectly, <laughs> the, the wine could be straight and the, uh, the glass could be distorting it, but... Um, so it's malleable, if anything. Curvaceous, mm. curvaceous um, conveys, it's one of those words like voluptuous and like mm. sometimes, sometimes wine buffs are dangerously close to pretty much having sex with the wine, aren't they? I mean, yeah. This is round, like, round, well-rounded, I imagine. Rounded. That's what they say it a is, lot um, as well. I mean, I don't, again, this is why I'm not an expert. I don't know what it is about the Cab Sav grape that, um, or at least I don't, I don't really have the wine um, words for it, but it is something to do with that feeling of, um, I mean, I'll drink any red, but I always find with something like a Pinot, um, it's just a bit delicate. I think for me, the whole, I, I feel like if I'm drinking a delicate red, uh, I might as well be having a nice white or something. With a red, what I want is for it to properly yeah. get, get, into, get stuck in a bit. <laughs> yeah, get in my face a bit. Yeah, my, my, my wife loves Pinot Noir. And so we, we had a barbie last night and um, so hot that we, I whacked it in the fridge and we had chit. And, and that was quite nice. That you actually see, I, works. If but I was drinking I, a Pinot Noir, I'd, I'd probably prefer it chilled, if anything. I, I've done yeah. that before. Yeah. I, someone told me you could chill red wines only about, well, not that you could. Someone told me it was a thing that people, uh, wine people did. Well, Mark, I don't mind telling you that's why I mentioned it, because I was <laughs> told by someone that that was something you could do. And it was only about two years ago, and I was yeah. appalled by the idea of it. But And I don't think it would work as well with a full-on a full no. red. But with a red that has got like half an eye on being a, a white or a rosé anyway, I suppose, why not? Meet, yeah. meet it halfway. This, exactly. though, is, this is red to its bones. I've, um, I've poured out more than you should for a tasting glass. No, no, I think <laughs> and we're not. We're not we're, I mean, it's, it's for Well, fun. we're the worst. We're the worst culprits for that. I mean, we've done a, a handful of wine tastings professionally, but the first I did was to the Douro Valley in Portugal. 
And oh, it was yeah. the first time I'd actually been on a wine trip with masters of wine. And I had, wow. I do mostly I do spirits. And in that world, you, you definitely swallow them to get the sort of alcohol burn. Yeah. Appreciate. But they, they spit them out. And I didn't, for a whole day, I was just sculling the wine and they were spitting it. I just didn't really, didn't have a handle on that. I was the same. I mean, when we did this one in the Yarra um, Valley in, uh, in Australia, we were, there was a kind of, um, well, for, they made a big thing of saying, uh, you're going to drink a lot of wines. You probably will want to spit some of them out. And a lot of the other people on the tour were, uh, there were some Japanese people, some Californians. I think me and Leanne were perhaps the only two British people. And we were the only two people who were like, you must be joking, mate. Like, <laughs> I'm not, uh, you're telling me I'm going to, and sure enough, we were sort of, um, uh, and again, it sounds terrible, but we were sort of vindicated because the amount they gave you was so tiny each time that, by the end of the day, um, everyone was like, oh, I've had quite an, oh, that's me for a while, I think, ha, ha, ha. And we were like, nah, that's, <laughs> given that we've had 18 wines, I feel pretty much like it's been a normal day. <laughs> I, I, um, yeah. In fact, there was, uh, the, last, uh, the last winery we went to, which was, uh, uh, it was absolutely beautiful, I can't remember what it was called, but they, um, they had a bar there, so you could actually buy a, a whole glass uh, of this wine, and it was, it was such a relief to like actually get a glass of something. And, and the other people were looking appalled at us. Like, have you not had 18 drinks? <laughs> yeah, but each one it's of them so is that nice. much. Like, how am I meant to, you know? Yeah. If anything, it was like a really long tease to have that much of each wine over and over again without ever properly getting into it. So you, you, you tend to drink the wine when you're, well, I mean, we've been, we've been enjoying the um, no more jockeys at the moment. Um, and you, you're often I, seen with a glass of wine and that, but you drink it on stage as well. I mean, it, it's yeah, it's, unfortunately, it's, it has become sort of a trademark. Like with Winston Churchill, always having his cigar, <laughs> and um, it's interesting because I did no more jockeys, which is an online game that yeah, me and Tim Keen, Alex Horn play. Um, it's accurate to say I'm, I'm never seen without a wine with those because um, we record those on Thursday night, and that is sort of for all of us kind of a big drinking night anyway, just because of the way things have gone in lockdown it's ended up being the night we can all get together. Um, but that's not an affectation. If I was playing the game and we weren't recording it, I'd still be drinking because it is very much a drinking game. But yeah, I, I think on stage, um, there, are, there are some comedians who have got, you know, like posh tastes in wine and know their wine. But once again, there are very few comics that will have a wine at a gig, I find, and almost none that will drink wine on stage. It's really almost only. It's funny because I, perhaps I'm living in the wrong generation. 20 years ago, all of them were pissed yeah. on stage, smoking. You've got a lager. And the circuit is very, very clean now by comparison. Everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people pride themselves on professionalism. And <laughs> <laughs> um, but my thing is that when I started doing it, it was even before stand-up, I was doing public speaking and debating and stuff like that and i'd always have one glass just to loosen the tongue in the way that you do if you're doing it like a best man speech or something and so i associate red wine with that increased confidence and and i've done plenty of gigs without a drink i don't feel like i need it but i do know i will enjoy the gig more like that so um and again just like we were saying with football there's that sort of bravado thing of like i might like wine but i'm at the game i'm having a pint comedians can be a bit like that as well like well i'll have a pint on stage but a glass of red wine looks like you think you're some sort of like 19th century poet but i don't really care what people think i just really like having the wine <laughs> no absolutely but it's quite um i mean do you think 
it has it does have i mean just the the the, the the function of it, the function of the wine to take that edge off that you would refer to before. Does it, does, does, does one, is one glass enough or? Um, I, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't say it, it doesn't exactly. It, it just loosens your inhibitions mm. that little bit, I think. Mm. And because it's not like I'm even necessarily nervous. It's not like, no, uh, I, I certainly was when I started uh, at these, and it's not like I'm free of nerves either, but it's not like a glass of wine makes that much difference. It certainly wouldn't be enough to, dispel the fear if it was just going it's more just um that lovely warming feeling which yeah. i've got now actually as i as i good, uh, good, get my way through this so that's what i uh, am in it for and if you misjudge it and have several wines then you definitely do feel you're not quite as up to it but there is that sweet spot where you yeah. just feel really good about yourself <laughs> yes and all, i mean i i i uh well we we came and saw we first came and saw you at the stand at uh, the fringe uh, a few years ago and it was quite I think it was sort of mid afternoon <laughs> and but but you were with the wine and i was just because because obviously with our show we we drink on stage as well but we tend to substitute the drinks because if we you were, must have to a bit yeah, yeah, that would be uh, yeah be really um so we use the magical theater to swap <laughs> vodka for water and things like that uh um, but i remember thinking wow red wine is is quite pokey and just in terms of your mouth and the dryness yeah. and, and like, it, you know, but then I suppose it doesn't have the fizz, which beer does, which can really come back. To yeah. Me. I'd struggle with an actual pint at that on stage, I think because of, yeah, cause it's gassy and all that kind of thing. Whereas, but you're right in, in a lot of ways that early kickoff time at the stand wasn't, didn't play into my hands drinking. <laughs> um, and um, I seem to remember uh, during that run, I didn't always have a wine during the show because you know what Edinburgh's like. If your show's at one thirty and you have a drink during it, then there's very little to stop you from drinking from three yes. p.m. until yeah. three a.m. Then for a and month, you, for a month. And uh, I do, I love that about the fringe, but you can't do that for a month. I don't think. No, Probably. no, we did it. We did it our first year when we didn't realise it wasn't really our profession. The first year we went up it was about ten right, years ago. Yeah, and we had a twelve thirty show in a porter yeah. cabin. Off That's the even back more dangerous. Twelve thirty is lethal. You can be drinking before <laughs> what is regarded as lunchtime. But yeah. we learned to, uh, we came up with a catchphrase, drink less, drink better, I think probably during that run, just because we were waking up with mm. hardcore anxiety. Uh, my I my think mental what, um, health went on a, yeah, oh my word, it was spectacular. Yeah. My, um, my partner and I had this conversation last year, actually. We didn't use the phrase, but uh, drink less, drink better became our sort of philosophy because um, she started to notice that she was having terrible hangovers because of the sort of wine that they sell in the venues. Mm is going to be shitty wine, obviously. And you, you do feel t awful if you've had too much of that. So we started um, drinking a bit less, but spending more money on wine. And uh, there's no denying it. it. It does treat you better, that wine. Oh, it definitely <laughs> does. I mean, the, the wine at the stand, did you... Yeah, it can't <laughs> be that great. <laughs> did you bring your own? Do you come walk in and go, I, I don't want that foreign muck. Um, These days, I, I normally do bring wine in to, to venues because I know if I ask them for a, a wine, again they're not going to have great wine because in a lot of cases they shouldn't because no one apart from me wants it. So yeah. why would they? <laughs> exactly. exactly. If I could, if I could um, get away with bringing a bottle of wine to the football and like bringing it out and uncorking it, uh, I would, but I think that they still are, there are quite a lot of restrictions on that. That's fighting talk as well, I imagine. <laughs> Although one just quick word on the stand in Newcastle because they didn't have, uh, they were drinking Prosecco, weren't they, Ben, when we were performing up there? Uh, Those guys are brilliant. The stand in Newcastle <laughs> is a brilliant venue. That is an insane. The idea that you might be one drink ahead of your audience is uh, 
it's never going to happen in that's in what the Arthur, Arthur Smith said didn't he? he he doesn't drink at all now but um he said you should always be one drink ahead of your audience and in Newcastle you can't we were, do that you, no I mean they were they, they you, came you in two it. hours before the show started and we were well the, that's part of the thing with that venue is because it's such a nicely run venue people want to be in there having a drink well before yeah to be one one drink ahead of your audience in Newcastle you'd have to get there the day before basically (laughs) (laughs) it's hardcore afterwards it was just a sea of Prosecco bottles yeah I can't again I can't drink Prosecco in in any quantity at all again I just find it so kind of Prosecco for me is what you start off with maybe if you're celebrating something but I can't commit to it I'm amazed when I see people working through the Prosecco like that yeah. <laughs> I thought sparkling oh, wine's never really been my thing, although um, it, on that trip in Australia, we bought this sparkling red, which we'd never seen the oh, like yes. of before, and which the Aussies drink at Christmas Day as a kind of, you keep it in your fridge and then you have it as the taste of Christmas, they call it. And um, sure enough, we did keep it for Christmas Day, uh, so about nine months, and uh, it was bloody lovely. Yes. Well, I don't know. It's an acquired taste. It's the psychology of it for me. It's just, this shouldn't be, doesn't look like it but should again, be. But again, chilled, it's quite nice, and I imagine. It felt wrong, but we'd, we'd, yeah. we'd had it in our fridge for so long, it almost had to be nice by that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, one, of the, one of the drinks you might like, Mark, we can uh, sort you out with some as well, I imagine, is uh, Four Pillars Bloody Shiraz Gin. Four Pillars uh, Gin from the Yarra Valley. And they take Cabernet, um, they take, no, Shiraz grapes, obviously, because that's what it's called. Um, and they they blend it into the gin and take the what? grapes out, and then and yeah. it's, it looks like a slow gin, but it's made with the grapes. It's absolutely amazing, lovely gin with Shiraz in it. Just when yes. I thought I couldn't couldn't love the Australians anymore. <laughs> 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 and you can drink it neat. You just have yeah. a bit of ice Bloody in there. How, I've, that that I've never heard yeah. of that, and I feel yeah. like I'm, that's I'm very interested in that. Isn't it? Yeah. So right next next one up is uh, the Malbec Altos. Las Homigas. I've been watching a bit of Narcos, so <laughs> it's, it's, that'd be why your Spanish is so, so accomplished. Yeah, <laughs> you uh, you definitely said that like you were auditioning for something, but unlikely to get it. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Story of his life. Um, um, you said you like Malbecs as well, Mark. I so. Certainly do. Yeah. Uh, okay. Have you? This smells. Uh, it smells quite intense. I'd say it is. Have you been? Um, I don't want to you know uh show off um but i've been to mendoza uh, uh have you have you been over there i have been to argentina but i've not done any any wine tourism there it's quite before. far away from no. everything else and it's I mean, with hindsight i'd say it's probably you have to be really into wine to make that i, I, but I think a, i am <laughs> i think you are i think you definitely qualify. Um, but it's just it's like it's, well, I was only there for a documentary thing, which was un- unrelated to wine. So it would have been a big ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite a It's a bit further up here. It's just on the left, a bit further. It's just cute. Um, <laughs> um, but it's it's like a sort of it's like Breaking Bad, semi-desert type. Um, yeah, wow. Um, and the climate is really hot, hot during the day, cool at night, and that's what makes these intense grapes. But the best thing about uh, the region, well, not the best thing, but quite an interesting thing is. Because uh, wine is such a big part of the, the region's economy, um, it it uh, it's also it, well, it's really prone to hailstorms. So they have these hail planes. So these pilots go up and basically spend seven or eight hours flying in clouds, releasing um, 
this kind of, I think it's called sodium iodide or something like this, which then, so they'd be, they'd be in a cloud, zero visibility, just belling along and with only their sort of instruments to tell them where they are. And they released this sodium iodide, which apparently reduces the hailstones from... Fights the hail. That, the pilots it, fight the hail. They, well, it reduces, <laughs> it reduces the size of it because it means the rain droplets get smaller. So that reduces it from the size of golf. I mean, all, all, everyone describes hail as golf balls, but I think it, it reduces... Hailstones are always measured in golf balls. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I don't know, I don't know, walnuts or uh, reduces them to like a, a marble? What are we going to go yeah. for? Half of a hailstone is maybe a marble. Yeah. A marble. Or bearing. Twenty. It sounds a bit. It sounds a bit dystopian, doesn't it? This idea of. Yeah, but apparently it's like really that. dangerous, and loads of them crash. Ah. Huh. Oh, yeah, I don't. Think, I'm not sure. I'd want my job to be. No. Uh, trying to shoot the weather while flying at zero <laughs> visibility. To be fair, it just sounds. Apparently, they used to fire rockets out there, like Soviet rockets. They buy to try and take out the hailstones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, it's and almost it would, worth um, just moving your winery to a, a better place somewhere, isn't it? Just yeah. yeah, just or, yeah, do a different job. Give up on wine. Can't, so, I mean, you don't want it to be this hard in life. But that no. is actually what's surprising for a Malbec, and I, I like a Malbec with red meat. Mm. Um, yes. Uh, but I found that incredibly light. That was not... Yeah. Maybe it's because we've had it after the... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We did it in the wrong order, but it is. Uh, you uh, have got what looks like a pint of wine there, Ben. Yeah, I know. I ever did it. <laughs> that might just be perspective. But no, you've no. got. Mark, I, you've got more than a tasting, but but not a pint. <laughs> yeah, I think. A, um, that's very mild. Mine's I've a bit blue. Of, um, can you look? If you look at it, can you see? Oh, can you see it? it's a bit blue? Yeah, I've um, I've done the uh, ancient drinker's trick of having an enormous wine glass, so it appears to be a very small amount of wine. That, uh, mm. I just keep pouring I've, small I've samples. Got really massive hands. Mm. Oh, uh, that, wine. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? It's so good. This is lovely, um, but it's not... Uh, you're right, it's not as much of a... Um, it doesn't feel quite as... Well, Mooty. big as the previous one. Big. It's nice, yeah. though. It is bloody nice. And uh, you're right, I mean... If people take nothing else away from this podcast episode, wine is really nice. It really it is. is. I don't understand <laughs> you're, people who... You're right to like bring it up, Tom. <laughs> I really believe it as well. It's yeah, funny. Yeah. Someone, someone once told me that you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't t- make a profession out of something you really enjoy. And uh, we have, really. We go to the pub and yeah. writing about drink. It's not that bad. But actually, we've never really gone heavy on wine, have we, Ben? No. And I quite like that about our lives, that we can just enjoy it and say... It's good. It's really good. Yeah. And we don't have to worry about people thinking, oh, they don't know enough about it because it's not, it's not our expertise. No. So, um, spirits, spirits is your expertise, you said. It is, yeah. We're going to yeah, get yeah. onto that at the very end, I'm afraid. I know, yeah. I've got some that. Uh, <laughs> we can finish off. Like, evil every looking good, stuff every good, <laughs> every good Newcastle night ends, <laughs> we're going to end up with some tequila. Well, um, you can see... Behind me, these three bottles are lined up like guns. Yeah, they are. And those, uh, the booze arrived um, some time ago now, two or three weeks ago, and those bottles of tequila have just been sitting on the table in the living room, like menacingly. Giving you the, <laughs> the glad opposite eye. of the glad eye. <laughs> well, uh, we're going to try at least one of them, Mark. We're going to convince I, you. I think I will enjoy it, and I don't think that it'll hurt that I've had all this lovely wine. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, I'm going to throw a new word into that tasting. 
um, once I let a bit of air go. Uh, tannins. We haven't said tannins. Ah, no, tannins. Yeah. You're right. That is, see, the that thing is, with tannins I mean, is um, that's yeah. a, it's a useful word to bluff with, but yeah. if I'm with proper wine buffs, I won't talk about tannins because I immediately feel like I'll yeah. get found out. Although I sort of understand what tannins are, when people no. start talking about tasting the tannins, I'm, I'm basically screwed. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's I just, think it's a bit it's like, like saying... It's like terroir. Terroir. It's got, I yeah. can really... I appreciate the terroir there. Or gra- yeah, it's I, not, I think it's like saying a wine is grapey. Grapey. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, then. Um, uh, but I'm going to bring something else into this. Have you ever oh, hello. Oh. Now, this, I've seen the experts do this. They eat crackers. The cars. Are those cars the queen? Uh, the queen's giving Apparently, me a thumbs up? Dries up the palate for the next one. No. That's a, that's a, yeah, that's the trouble. Dries it up to an unpleasant level. Let's <laughs> <laughs> have another one. Right, okay. Let's move that, on to the next one. Well, I better finish this, haven't I? Bloody hell. Yeah, yeah come scallet. on. Um, that's, I know, think that's a t- technical term. Scallet. Another, another thing I learned from an actual wine expert, a very lovely lady called Fiona Beckett, who's the Guardian wine writer. We were on a, oh, yeah. on a, on a press trip together and we, we kept, ended up having dinner together. It was very nice, but she really knows her stuff. And when she ordered the wine and the wine came and she checked for whether it's corked or not, she didn't taste yep. it. She just smelt it. Oh, uh, that's people like that. I don't, I don't understand it. That's, I mean, things, that <laughs> no, is because, no. but I, th- I can you actually, do. even though I know nothing really about wine, I can tell where the wine is corked. Can you? I, I, that, I don't know. I... I can smell it, but I don't, that's not, I think that's just luck. But I didn't mm. know that you, because you're not test, you're not tasting it or testing whether you like it or not. You've ordered it. <laughs> if it's good, you. So apparently that's you've the thing. It. So that's and it's a mentality know. thing that yeah. I can't imagine how bad wine would have to taste before I was confident enough to say, nah. Uh, I, yeah. I um, <laughs> I, I was at dinner once with someone who I can't remember. It was, it was a work thing, and he must have been a much more experienced. And he he sent the wine back not once but twice, and Oof. I. I didn't know whether I was impressed with his discernment or just mostly absolutely horrified to be there. Oh. I think I was like, I was like, well, you obviously know your stuff, but I wish to God I could hide under the table here. Yeah. Still and embarrassing. I wish, and I wish we didn't have all three dishes still to come because yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm worried was, about what's going to be in that. Yeah. yeah. That's not going to end well. No, they already hated us and we barely, we hadn't even got a, anywhere near pate yet. <laughs> That's not pate. Um, uh. Exactly. So this this next one is a Zinfandel right. that we've got, and this will get us back to big fruity reds, yeah, guaranteed. Yeah, gear. Um, so we're, Ben and I have actually been to this region together, haven't we, Ben? Went yes. and held hands. Well, we we were writing a book about American craft beer, but the craft beer scene in California is sort of uh, butting up against the amazing wine regions as well. Um, yeah, Zinfandel. Um, obviously, think of as rosé and. Um, lighter wines you know yes well uh, that was that's what saved the zinfandel grape in fact because it was it was really? almost it almost uh, disappeared in california after prohibition that ridiculous right, right. ridiculous idea the americans had to completely that's, ban alcohol <laughs> that dreadful time it was a dreadful time <laughs> it destroyed their economy and killed thousands oh, of people and it was stupid idea yeah it was, it was a ridiculous idea um but the zinfandel grape nearly disappeared but they, they managed to hold on to it thanks to their they're um, the white white wines and the sort of rosé wines, which are sort of held up with a bit of disdain, I think, by the wine community. 
but it allowed right, yeah. the red the reds to come back. But we were out there, and they are very expensive in California. Out the, are they? Out the vineyards, mm. you pay quite a bit for them, and not that much different to what they cost when they get over here. Which that's interesting. Yeah, you'd think they'd put a markup on just for getting it here, but I like. I think that's maybe my favourite of the three. I, I mean, this say, is. I want to say plums. Funny, wow, a funny word. <laughs> they say that as well. On Do they the, uh, on the label? They also oh, say you can shit. serve this with. Uh, okay. I don't know if this was them actually, or I was doing some 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 uh, Google searches elsewhere. But someone said you can serve it with saucy ribs. <laughs> can <laughs> you? Was, okay, maybe. What about ribs uh, with modesty? <laughs> saucy. Yeah, ribs. coy ribs. Coy I've got ribs. to say, this is um, this is unbelievably nice. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. you're well within your rights. It's it, this is um. So this is what Zinfandel, and is that it, or is it got something else in it? It's Zinfandel. It? Oh, oh god, I, uh, Mark, it's don't, an old, don't an old vine, as in they I need, call it. I need oh, yeah. It's really, really delicious. This. Um, so it's called. They brought out. Do you know yeah. what they've said on the label? They said mocha. That's, that's, also, that's a really good one to put into a uh, into your, into your tasting uh, lexicon because it's like yeah, you're right. and chocolate together. Flavors of rich black fruit and mocha with hints of black pepper. So mostly things that you don't think yeah. of as being in a wine bottle, to be fair. No. But it, it is, um, I sort of understand the mocha thing because yeah. if, if you could say a wine was chocolatey, this is on the way, isn't it? It's Definitely. like a... Um, they also mentioned uh, black pepper as well. But I think if uh, another good one to impress other wine people is to throw in white pepper. Substantially white pepper. similar. <laughs> yeah, but people are always like, oh... Well, I've got to say, this is your shit. <laughs> this is absolutely it's good. lovely. It's almost yeah, not I mean, a wine. It's almost too it's too easy to drink. It's isn't more it? than a they, wine. What's more really, than a um, wine? They've <laughs> like, all been nice, but this is uh, how much is this then? You can get this in weight. Fourteen. I think this is fourteen ninety nine as well, isn't it, Ben? I think right, they're all around the same minute. price point. I'd say for and fifteen quid, that is well beyond what you would ask of a, of a 15. And it's fourteen and it's fourteen and a half percent. So that's a pound for every percent of alcohol. Honestly, they, they've all I mean, been nice, but this is um really nice. interesting. <laughs> I, I, I I don't think I'd buy it uh, if I didn't know because I'd see that I'd look at the label, yeah, uh, and the Zinfandel thing would confuse me, and I wouldn't really know what I was getting. But I do know now. Font. Yeah, I'd take a couple of marks off for the font on their bottle. It's a little bit wacky. It's a bit Comic <laughs> Sans. It also, I look at it and I thought, I instantly think Brazil. It's called Brazen, but it almost yeah. like a font that the Brazil sort of yeah. tourist board might have used to welcome this. You're to the right. That, yeah, it looks a little bit like Brazil's World Cup logo or something. Yeah, it's basically it does, not quite. It? It's not quite. It's not quite serious minded enough when you think about no. what this wine actually is. I mean, mm. so. Could, I, so are we agreed that we buy them out and rebrand the wine or yeah. something? Or, yeah, or, move to or, California. We don't have to buy them out, just get a consultancy fee. I don't know how we do it, but we can help these people. It, yeah. it's, the start of, it's the start of a project for sure. I um, think, have I mean, you been to California? Because we, we, we obviously um, know, I, uh, we've read about your, your success with your, your book work and the rights for uh, one of your books going to Spielberg. So does that, that mean you've gone out there and true. sat down with Spielberg? And... Not really, no. Uh, they've now passed out of Spielberg's studio into Universal's hands. and um, so uh, Still sounds very impressive. <laughs> still absolutely fine. 
But it sounds much more impressive than it is in terms of my involvement. My involvement is I've I got one trip to LA out of it. Um, and uh, I guess potentially I might get to go there again. But I've only ever been within California. I've only been to uh, Los Angeles itself. I've never been out to those enormous parts of California that you uh, hear about, yeah. that, that you saw on the film Sideways and stuff like that. Um, all that stuff is a complete... You forget that California is bloody enormous. And yeah, um, yeah. I, I, other than and the two LA trips were really brief as well. I'm not one of these comedians that spends half their life there just in case something comes off. So um, that Californian wine culture, I've never, I've never explored that at all. Really, oh, I mean, I I've not done the do Australia that. thing, but uh, California was brilliant. I mean, it really is. Yeah. You know, I think it's probably it's Australia is probably quite similar. When I watched um, Sideways and when I've seen it on the telly, I'm reminded of the Australian thing, but there's just this sense of so much open space mm. and you arrive in a small town and there's literally 16 different wineries, you know, next door to each other. And they're not even in competition. They're all doing really well. Yeah. And yeah. I, you know, and I imagine California is similar. There's just, when you're from Britain, you really are struck by that massive sense of space and, you know, yeah, you can yeah. just, um, no, wander around. Well, we, we, when we wrote, we wrote a book about it. We we went out there for three weeks to visit all the breweries and craft brew pubs, and we really didn't prepare well enough for the <laughs> scale of it. It's funny when you're in San Diego and they say there's a place just up the road. Up the road to them is two hours in a car. You know, it's just it just goes. Yeah, yeah it's the on. same with Australia. Of course, they think nothing of travelling. What would be the length of our country? But um, <laughs> but yeah, it's. It's absolutely mad. You um, like in Melbourne, you could if you go out an hour out of Melbourne, suddenly you're in the. If in the I've been to the uh, Yarra Valley and Adelaide Hills quite a bit, and in both cases, um, you can quite easily visit. You shouldn't, but you could visit ten or a dozen within like a couple of hours, and it's uh, it's just not something that we are psychologically accustomed to because no. we don't have that here. It's just there's no equivalent. No. Well, I was I was just thinking, Mark, you did given that you just did the marathon, or was it last year? You did the marathon? Oh, that's uh, two years ago now. Two years yeah. ago. Have, have you heard about the Medoc Marathon? Is this where you get a you get a drink at the end the of every mile? Or the water stations are they have water, but they also have wine. I um, have heard about this, and that, is it in France? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the most French Bordeaux. thing that I've ever. I mean, that's so I French, mean, isn't it? I'd say I just about finished the marathon without wine and, yeah. and it was a struggle. I, I don't think I'm getting to 26 miles if I start no, drinking on my I think the only way you probably could is if you dangled a glass of red wine on a kind of little bouncy stick in front of you. Yeah. Surely, surely no one's finishing that or they're not. No. Like, well, the French like, do. I mean, they probably have like a Gaulois Decathlon or something like that. Uh, actually, yeah, the French's thing is that they all were drinking when they were nine years old, I suppose. <laughs> and they, uh, it's, it's the same as having a water station to them. But um, I reckon I'd, I love running and I love drinking, but I, I don't think I could pr- no. probably do them both at the same time. That no. said, I do think it would be really fun to see how, how many miles you could last out in those sessions. I think there's a documentary in there, I'm sure. Yeah. And you're the man to do it. I, I, maybe I am, actually. I've got, I've got the unique intersection of all exactly. of Exactly. That Venn diagram, <laughs> yeah. you're banging Wine in the middle. Experts, uh, bang in the middle. Speak, I've got quite good French as well. There's nothing to stop me from doing this. <laughs> <laughs> um, Although, but on um, the writing, on the writing, do you find, do you find that the creative juices flow once you've had a few few drinks there we've done a bit of 
looking into the scientific research behind alcohol unlocking the uh, i'm interested in this really the, interested in this. the temporal gyrus of that part of your brain behind your left ear apparently which is controlling a bit bit of creativity and um the scientists in, in chicago did a big study on it that suggests that you know you're talking about that two drink limit that actually about two drinks is is about right for that moment where you're your your memories and your organized part of your brain and the part of your brain that de develops the creative thoughts sort of intermingle and you let down your guard a bit and because you let down your guard and you're not so uh, focused on everything that's going on around you these all these these things all come together to allow you to be a bit more creative so do you i mean would you have a glass of wine when you're writing or would you yeah but it's very similar to comedy a glass or two of wine um and i really feel like i'm at sort of peak productivity uh several glasses of wine and you've passed that sweet spot so um but i'm if there is science that supports having a couple of wines while you're doing creative activities mm -hmm. i'm i'm a huge fan of that i would probably bankroll a foundation you know how like yeah. pharmaceutical <laughs> companies pay for studies which find the results that they already wanted to find i think if someone could like yeah. do a paper that proved that you should drink two glasses of wine when you're writing. I, I'd be really supportive of that research. Well, I mean, just think of the the accountant. You could go, look, you can write that all those bottles off. Put that. Oh, you could. Back. There'd be an enormous write-off potential. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like but yeah. For me, I, I I think I mean even without having heard that science, I think that intuitively is what I feel. I feel like a little bit of wine. And your brain is just more fluid, more creative, and you're making mm. those associations more. And then, of course, we all know the feeling of having had too much. And you can write a sentence. You're just thinking about getting mm. into bed and dealing with the consequences. <laughs> um, <laughs> or I suppose there's that kind of dangerous bit where you've had a bottle and you believe you still are at maximum creativity, but what you're writing is now shit. Yeah. And um, beyond a certain point, you lose the ability to, to tell. But it, I found myself sometimes in situations where I've been absolutely, um, I haven't been drinking less but better, Ben, which we yeah. always say isn't the, the, the term. <laughs> but I've written and I've carried on writing to see what it, see what, see what it might become. And it is invariably yeah. dog shit. I mean, it really is incomprehensible yeah. nonsense. Yeah. I mean, they, they say, uh, write drunk, edit sober. You hear that quite a lot yeah. in writing. And that's a nice tip, I think. But if you write drunk enough, then when you come to edit sober, you think, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> On the road. Kerouac. Yeah, I mean, like, Kerouac. I think, unfortunately, Kerouac and, and those writers uh, kind of, like, bedded in this idea in popular culture that being off your face automatically gives you access to a different creative plane and whatever. Hunter S. Thompson, all those guys. Mm -hmm. And it can do but it can make you absolutely rubbish as well, obviously. Totally. I remember well, reading... Kerouac, Kerouac loved um, tequila, Ben. Oh, seamless, Tom. That is yes. a hell of a story. <laughs> oh, there we go. So we're going to have to have some tequila now. Can I just show you my... Um, yeah. I've got a tequila horn that we went over to Mexico and they gave us this to drink it out of. A tequila it's really, horn? It's a little kind of... Uh, it's ivory, but it's impossible to now, put down, obviously. So <laughs> I've um, I've only been to Mexico once, and I was drinking tequila there, but I I was drinking the what presumably is the equivalent of the, of like Fosters, or you know I, I had no idea what I was doing, and I, I and I didn't enjoy it, and I've never really liked tequila, but I don't think I've ever 
drunk what you would regard as good quality tequila either that's the thing right well there's been a big there's been a big sea change in the world of tequila uh, over the last 15 20 years really where they've they've started regulating a bit more over there and they have something called the crt which has encouraged 100 percent agave tequila so um, as a result you'll start to see some better tequilas what we've got today tapatio that is 100 percent agave tequila and it's made by a guy called carlos camarena and Ben and I were lucky enough to go out there and actually um, <clears throat> and meet him. And he's a he's a, he's a real he's very a real legend of the. Um, of, I've way overpoured that. <laughs> this isn't something you can pour a pint of and get away with. Oh dear! Is there um? What's the um? And I don't know anything about tequila. What's the difference between these three um? Right, yeah, so you've got a Blanco, you've got the Tapatio Blanco, the Reposado, yeah. and the Añeco. And the Blanco is unaged. Uh, the Reposado will be aged for a spell of about four months. And right. then the Añeco will be, will be uh, rested in oak. And I think they do for 18 months. Mm. Right. So, minimum. minimum. Yeah. And if you look at the color of it, you'll see that all that, uh, when it goes into a barrel, it's completely transparent like the blanco and then the wood gives it a little bit of color so if you're unsure i'd say well you can start with a we can start with a blanco i've, I've um, poured the blanco out but i've poured a like a shot sort of thing okay if you give it a smell then you will be able to smell agave and that's that sort of vegetal quite sweet yeah you can <laughs> smell it, yeah. people <laughs> take little sniffs just little yeah. sniffs not massive <laughs> inhalations yeah. yeah sorry quite. i basically shoved my entire face into that there <laughs> If you've got a wet nose, Mark, you've gone in too far. <laughs> but Camarena really cares about the agave, which are at the heart of everything. They're these massive, people think they're cactuses, they're part of the asparagus family, but they're these right. big bulbs that have these huge spikes that come off them. And these hemodores go around and they hand cut off all these dangerous spikes, take the bulb, cook that up, get all the lovely juices out of it and all the sugar. And that's what they ferment and then distill, and that's what turns into tequila. Right. So the agave is actually, is, if you taste it, I would taste a, take a very small sip okay. and you actually can taste But there are that agave. That, yeah, and there are parallels between winemaking and tequila in so much as... See, I think that's quite nice, actually. And it, but that um, uh, the tequila I've had in the past, I associate with the kind of, you know, harsh taste. Um, yeah. And I think... Again, that's probably because it's always been pub tequila in it. Whereas mm. this isn't harsh. It's quite, I mean, I can, I can see why people like that. Yeah. I don't think I've ever had one that I um, really enjoyed, but I've never, I've never approached it as an actual nice drink. Yeah. More just something that someone gives you, which you chuck down at the start of an evening or something or the end of the evening. Well, it's, yeah, it tends to get the problem. blame. It does get the blame for hangovers, because but most people only drink tequila once they're annihilated, and then yeah, it's a bit like that I, old Castlemaine Forex advert. Remember when he puts a glass of bottle of wine on the back of the Ute, and I, which is full of Castlemaine Forex, and uh, it looks like you've over. And it, the, the, I, I, the, the I do remember. Is, I, yeah, I've been to Castlemaine, and no one, no no one in Australia drinks it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They also drink. They don't drink Fosters either. No. They they think no. they they think it's incredible that Fosters is in, uh, popular here. Yeah, well, we slagged it off quite badly in our show, which is the only the only reason only. we didn't win the award. I think. Yeah. I mean, right. Yeah. 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 That's they all drink. Uh, they drink uh, Victoria Bitter, which you 
don't really see here. No. Mm. Mm. This is nice, I think. It I, is. I, I think if you drink it like this, we've got into this culture in the 80s of drinking what's called mixed tequilas, which are 50% agave spirit, and then they fit it up with all other sorts of distillates, like right, sugar beet yeah. and all that sort of thing. And people slammed it, and they'd had a bottle of wine, or they had 10 pints of crap lager, and then they were sick. And it always it was tequila that got the blame for that, really. And um, I think if people approach it like this, sipping it, um, maybe not after quite as much wine as we drank uh, during this civilized <laughs> wine tasting. Well, I think we should move on to the um, the añejo. Should we? Should we? Um, mm. I think time, oh. alas, is, means that we probably. I'd okay, go straight so... to yeah. I'd go straight to the añejo, which is the the most aged, and I think that will be the one that we'll, the we'll find a tequila that you actually like. I'm just cleansing the palate here. Oh. <laughs> If only you had a cracker. If only you had a cracker. That water is very full-bodied. Full-bodied. Right, so the Añeco. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I haven't got any of that because they didn't send us that. Yeah, they, they only just sent, sent you email. I um, do have an Añeco. Yeah. And again, so that spent um, 18 months in a barrel. And the barrel, the oxygenization helps to take off some of the harsher edges, but also the spirit dips into and out of the pores of the wood, takes on the colour but also some of the vanillins in the wood. So you might get a bit of um, a vanilla aroma on there. Yeah, so it's quite yellowy, this, isn't it? Yeah. And, um... With tequila, you can't really leave it in barrels for too long. Like whiskey, if it's in there for 18 years, then it's going to add some different complexity to it. But with tequila, it starts to sort of trample over the, the softer mm. flavours. Go and give that a taste. We haven't right, got that. Go. I'm quite jealous. God, yeah. <laughs> that's more like drinking whiskey or something i think like yeah, um it's got more smoke to it hasn't it uh, mm. properly properly I, again i don't mind it i have to say yeah i okay. um once again i think what i associate with tequila is that like you said that kind of that the taste of a shit the end of a shit night at the pub and um drinking actual quality tequila is a different experience isn't it, it turns <laughs> out yeah that's nice i mean I'm not sure if I prefer that or the first one, but in both cases, it's much smoother. Mm. You know, it feels like a proper, a, akin to drinking whiskey or gin where you've actually made a conscious choice. Yeah. yeah. And like you say, it is true that tequila's become like just the poster boy for those terrible nights that people have. Yeah. 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 Just a dickhead in the office coming back with a tray full of it and you're like, oh Christ. And I do like uh, Sambuca, but it, it, like one of those two is the same. They both play the same role in a night out in a British yeah. pub, which is yeah. you have to have this now that you're already screwed. Yeah. <laughs> and when um, <laughs> nice, yeah. Well, when because uh, we're recording this before the pubs are being opened, but it's been announced that the pubs are opening on July the fourth. Will you be going? Will you be hitting the pub on that day? Or are you going to let it simmer down for a bit? And uh... no, my worry is that the pubs will be terrible on that day. I think um, so. Yeah. And, uh, but don't get me wrong. I, I love going to the pub. I, I, I have missed it. And I think, um, I'll definitely be back there as soon as I can be, but you can only imagine that those first couple of days are going to be awful. And, uh, and also you've got to fill out a lot of forms and book it in advance and stuff. Haven't you? Yes, Part of what I love about, you know, pub culture is you just show up somewhere, yeah, have a knock drink. On, knock on the door at 10.30. That's, I mean, and they let you in. Exactly. The idea of, <laughs> um, 
the idea of planning a pub visit in that much detail feels slightly against what it's about. Yeah. So I reckon I'll probably leave it for a couple of weeks. Um, but I will be um, cheered up by the sight of pubs starting to come to life again because, yeah. Yeah, I know you know, even if you're not a drinker, you can't deny it. Having pubs empty for there's a pub on the corner of the road here where I live and walking past it every day, seeing no one in there and the, mm. the chairs are all up on the tables. It is, it is a bit like prohibition. It makes you feel like we've been through something that's not right. No. Yeah. So even if I don't go to pubs, I will be really, I'll be like sort of emotionally buoyed up by the yeah. sight of pubs. Kind of like. No, I do but think also, there's, there's a certain benevolence. Once, once, it, once the dust settles on our whole thing, I, will, I think I will be going in there and going, oh, be take great. my money, first... just take all my money. I, you deserve it <laughs> as a local business. And all I'm going to ask in return is for you to give me lots of red wine. That's how I see it, Ben. I just want to prop up local businesses as much as I can. Just a giver. You're just a giver. I really am. <laughs> Great. Well, that, I think that is everything we've got. That's one of the biggest tastings we've done in our podcast, Ben. In fact, three, quite, quite a long stretch. Three wines, three tequilas and a beer. It was a lot, but I feel like I stepped out. You <laughs> well did. done, Mark. Well, thank you, you very, very much. You're a true warrior. And, uh, what is, I mean, uh, we won't drink it now, but what is the... With the other tequila, there's three of them. The Reposado, the... that's the one in between. So, yeah. um, okay. and that's, I'll tell you what that's, that's good for, a Tommy's Margarita. So if you want to make a cocktail with that, if you have uh, around 60 mils of that with maybe 15 mil of fresh lime juice and then right. maybe 15 mil of agave syrup, and you do need a cocktail shaker. I don't know how, you're, how comfortable you are with shaking cocktails. But if you... Oh, not very. I, when I watch people do it, I think, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> just put it in a glass then and stir it yeah. with ice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm amazed oh, when I see good. barmen do like proper, do it properly. I, I can't, you know. Well, that is but, another yeah. thing. I mean, that's another thing we've we found with the with the cocktail culture. There's a lot of people who've having a go on social media um, and doing it really badly. It will be yeah. nice to go to a decent bar as well and have someone who knows what they're doing make you a decent cocktail. Um, those days are near, Ben. They're coming, aren't they? I can't wait. Anyway, yeah, so that's what to do with Reposado. So I think that will wrap it up then, Ben. Thank you, Mark. Uh, yeah. very... Mark, thank you very well, much thank, for, for joining thank us. You for, uh, thank you for sending me loads of nice booze. And I think the way the evening probably goes is that I will drink some more of that Zinfandel because that is magical. Yeah, it is goes off. Number one. Are we going to go number one, Zinfandel? I think, yeah, the all the, the best. Okay. I think Zinfandel. I like the Malbec. I like the, all of the wines, but the Zinfandel is, is yeah. a special wine, I think. Yeah. yeah. And then you can chase it with the Keller Pills and with a little hippo on a boat. Yep. Perfect. And then sleep the sleep of the just. <laughs> <laughs>
seem to think we shouldn't be. So uh, so that was that was very reassuring to hang out with someone who who enjoys a drink as much as us. A proper what a ledge, I think you could say he was. Yes, absolutely. And also, I think he he quite liked the idea of that bloody Shiraz gin from Four Pillars. Mm. I think we might mm. need to send him some of that. But no, it was it was uh, it was nice to see to see how much he he genuinely liked wine, didn't he? He loved it um, yes. as we do. So uh, no, really good, really good. Don't drink that amount of alcohol at home <laughs> all the time. Just this is a one-off. Um, but no, yeah. it was a, it was a long podcast, but it flew by, and I, and I very much enjoyed it. So yes, um, and we look, look forward to hanging out with him in a pub. Yes, this is all over, I'm sure. If you are interested in learning more about him, though, Pod Bods, um, then uh, you can learn about where he's performing, uh, his books, where to buy them. Uh, all his infos on his website, www.markwatsonthecomedian, all one word, dot com. Mark Watson, the comedian, and you'll find him on all the social handles. He's pretty, pretty big on Twitter. Uh, but he's also on Instagram as well, so go and uh, go out there and find him uh, and learn more about him because he's a he's a, a very very nice chap and well, it's hugely successful. Well done, Mark. Uh, so that was Mark Watson. What are we going to be tasting next week, Ben? Well, next week we're going to be exploring the world of Czech beer or Czech Czech. Yeah, what's it called now? They've got a new name I for don't it. Know if they just, just call it. No, Czech. they've got. No, they don't. They call it. Well, hang on. Czech Republic. Wait a minute. I just put check. I just put check into Google when a second word was mullet came up. Hang on. Czechia. C Z E C H I A. Okay. So that's a short formal name of the Czech Republic. Anyway, we're going to be drinking Pilsner Urquell. We're going to have some Budweiser Budvar, and we're trying to get hold of some other ones as well. But all the details about where to buy them and what we're going to be drinking will be below this podcast and all the. Uh, editorial bump so check that out they're very easy to get hold of and i was gonna beers. say that but you said it what? check it check that out oh good yeah 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 no i didn't factually. know that wasn't that's good but it's not that good it's so. shit. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway do it uh uh and um yes we'll we'll bounce back next week check bounce never mind okay cheers 